several scriptures that I want us to look at today, the first of which <clears throat> is found in Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> Luke chapter 24, then we'll be turning to Acts <clears throat> chapter 1. <clears throat> Let me, I guess, confess here that, um, <clears throat> and I hope I don't stir up wrath and that people ch charge the platform. Um, I'm not going to say one word about mothers today. I'm not preaching on Mother's Day. Now, I like mothers. I'm for mothers. Um, but in the Christian calendar, um, that's ancient, of course, uh, Mother's Day is not there. Now, that doesn't mean we don't like mothers. Uh, Woodrow Wilson is the one who made Mother's Day. Okay? So, <clears throat> a greater than Woodrow um, is what I want to look at. <clears throat> this is the final Sunday in the 40-day period after the resurrection. And it is called Ascension Day. Ascension Day, of course, doesn't always fall on a Sunday. It falls this year on the 18th of this coming week. And so being the final Sunday prior, it is labeled Ascension Sunday. And I want us to, I hope that there's something we can be um, informed concerning, encouraged, our eyes open to all that really was meant by the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So, there are only two places, there are all kinds of references everywhere to Jesus ascending into heaven. <clears throat> but particular eyewitness accounts of it, there are only two. The first one <clears throat> we find in Luke 24, beginning with verse... Well, we'll begin with verse 44. Then he, that's Jesus, said to them, the disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. In Acts 
One is the second of the two records, eyewitness records, of the ascension in Acts 1, beginning with verse 4. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men by them stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now the third scripture we'll save till a bit later. <clears throat> the ascension of Jesus into heaven signals both a conclusion and a commencement of involved in Jesus' whole redemptive mission. His work, Jesus' work as Redeemer, has two, they're called the estates of Christ, or states of Christ. There are two. One, the humiliation. Two, the exaltation. That comprises all of his incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension. There's much then for us to look at in these two different estates. Humiliation involves a complete emptying of himself. Now that scripture is in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll begin our reading in verse 5. <clears throat> Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, hung on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a certain servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, let me just explain a bit 
of the humiliation. There are, we're, we're dealing here, of course, with the mystery of the Trinity. We sang about it. We praise and bless the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, eternally existent in three persons. Jesus' work then in the incarnation, in taking on himself human flesh and coming down here and living with us and voluntarily submitting to death was not a laying aside, sometimes is confusing, said he didn't think equality with God was something to be clung to, something that he refused to let go of. It doesn't mean that he laid aside deity. Jesus is God. You can't lay aside deity. Some think, well, he didn't lay aside his deity, but he temporarily laid aside his attributes of deity. He couldn't have done that, or he couldn't have walked on water, raised the dead, healed the blind, all proofs of his deity. He made the point with the man that was paralyzed whose friends let him down through the roof into the house where he was, when he said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. The Pharisees questioned in their minds, not out loud, but he knew their minds, and said, Who's this man that has power to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus, knowing what they thought, said to them, So that you may know that the Son has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, as he turned to the paralyzed man, take up your bed and walk. And immediately he rose, rolled up his bedroll, and walked out. He couldn't have laid aside the attributes of deity. He simply, voluntarily, took upon himself the state of submission and dependence. He submitted to the Father. He was dependent on the Father. He, in his human form, became like one of us who may not know where our next meal comes from, we endure all that nature throws at us. We are subject to disease, disaster, natural occurrences, all those things. He, de he became dependent like we are. The devil tried to tempt Jesus to resign from that state by saying, when he was hungry and tempted in the desert. Why don't you go ahead and turn these rocks into bread. Feed yourself as God. We could. But in the state of the incarnation, of his humiliation, of his emptying of himself, he couldn't. So he didn't. He was dependent on the Father then for even satisfying his hunger and his thirst.
That's the depths of the humiliation that Jesus, the emptying out. There's a Greek word that kenosis. It's just the emptying of himself in his equality. Now, as a member of the Trinity, the Trinity, is the, we say three things. There's three aspects of each person. Co-eternal, from everlasting, never had a beginning. Co-essential, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit, fully God. And then co-equal. There is no true hierarchy. There may be in the roles regarding redemption. It's the Father's plan to send His Son. And the Spirit applies the work of the Holy Spirit, or the work of Jesus' redemption to us. But they are co-equal, the three persons, yet one God. The humiliation then of Jesus, the emptying of Himself, was fully voluntary and it's also a pattern. Paul uses it as a pattern. He said, you have in your mind, in yourself, in your own mind, the same mind that Jesus had who emptied himself. If we're going to come to Jesus, we're going to walk with Jesus, we're going to be Christ-like, we've got to empty ourselves. You can't be a Christian if we don't follow in His footsteps who emptied Himself and became not only the humiliation for Him to become a human in a fallen world, but also submitted Himself voluntarily not only to die, but to die on a cross, which was the most sordid, ghoulish way you could die. He emptied himself clear to the bottom. That we call his humiliation. Technically, his exaltation begins, and I, I read this and I thought about it, and I, I thought, I don't get this. But I think I do now. Theologians make the point that the exaltation of Jesus actually began when he descended into Hades. When he descended into the old version of the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. Well, it doesn't mean damnation. It's the Greek word Hades. Abode of the dead. State of the dead. When he descended there, and I, I want to not get bogged down here, but I want you to think about this. When he descended into the abode of the dead, he died, thus going to the abode of the dead. But death had no hold on him. So dying, he couldn't die. <laughs> Meaning, Peter refers to it in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And it's a quote from Psalm 16. David said, you will not suffer, you will not allow your Holy One to see 
corruption or decay. Jesus died. The body that he spent 33 years in died, but it didn't decay at all. Why? Peter said it was impossible that death should hold him. Why? Because his body was never used as a vehicle for sin. He was tempted in all points, just like we are, yet without sin. Our bodies and spirits have sinned against God. Our spirits sinned against God through our bodies. Our bodies, therefore, are worthy of death and decay, and they will. I don't like to think about it, but it's, that's why we have to get a new one. But Jesus never sinned. That's why death couldn't hold him. Tech, well, I won't go into that. Never mind. The resurrection, then, yeah, I will say it. The resurrection, technically, we'll talk about the miracle of the resurrection. It's, in a sense, it's not a miracle. I don't mean that it isn't supernatural. But he didn't deserve death. His body couldn't decay because he'd never sinned. So it wasn't a miracle is going against some law of nature. Death could never keep him. So, the fact that a, a body that he voluntarily said, I give up my spirit. And John, he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on myself and I take it up. So on the cross, he said, when he said, it is finished, then he said, unto the Father, I commit my spirit. And it says, he yielded up his spirit. That was totally voluntary. It wasn't like you and I have no power to retain our spirit. Now, I don't know about the truth. I hate to, especially not even preach on Mother's Day. I hate to even make you matter. Because people say, I tell you, Grandma was hanging on till we could all get there for Christmas. Nobody, nobody has that kind of power. Maybe our will is plays a bit of a part, but I have no power over the day of death, the hour of death, none. I don't have that kind of power, but Jesus did. So he voluntarily died, loosed his own spirit, committed it to the Father on the cross, and went into the tomb. But going into the abode of the dead knowing that he could not be held by death was the first blow in his exaltation. Because he essentially went into the fortress of death and hell, took the keys, left the door ajar, and came out. That's the beginning of his exaltation. The resurrection then is a second, of course, visible blow to the enemy rising from the dead. Then 
all the appearances that he made to prove that he rose from the dead, culminated in ascending back into heaven 40 days later. The ascension then was part of his exaltation, but it also was the commencement of a new role as our Redeemer. Now, what does that mean? In other words, what we could ask this question. What does the ascension signify? What all happened there? First, it signaled the completion of the redemptive mission of Jesus on earth. His incarnation, his walking among men, his enduring all that we endure, his persecution, his trial, his crucifixion, and his resurrection are completed. So the mission of redemption on earth, the ascension, completed it. Second, upon ascending into heaven, he was crowned as conquering king and as high priest. He's the reigning king. He is crowned. He is king sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's our priest. He is our high priest. Let me give you a thought here. Um, I tell you, there are no accidents. There are no coincidences. There are no just he threw that in to throw it in. In Scripture and the record, when Jesus led the disciples out to the mountain, and it's probably by giving the location of the city, the city of Bethany, it was on the backside from the city of Jerusalem of the Mount of Olives. It was only several miles from Jerusalem. So he took his disciples where they'd frequently been, on the Mount of Olives, past the Garden of Gethsemane, and over the crest to the little village of Bethany. And there, it says, when they were gathered there, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and then was parted and carried up into heaven. What's the significance of that? It's huge. The Old Testament high priests on the Day of Atonement, the highest day of the year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest took the blood of the sin offering. Everyone vacated the tabernacle or the temple. No Levites in there, no other priests in there, None of the helpers and doorkeepers. Nobody was around. No one could approach the high priest. No one could touch the high priest. Because he had to be completely pure, holy, when he walked into that tabernacle. He went into the holy place 
was a showbread where the candlestick, where the altar of incense were. But he didn't stop there. Every single day of the year, he stopped there. But not this one day. That one day, the Day of Atonement, he proceeded past into the Holy of Holies, into which no one entered ever, except once a year, the high priest, no other priest could go in there, went in there with the blood of the offering, and there's the Ark of the Covenant, there is the lid covering it called the mercy seat, and the two angels with their wings touching, looking downward at what's called the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where God meets with man. And he, the high priest, sprinkled the blood of that offering on behalf of the whole nation of Israel on the mercy seat. Having done that, he returned, comes out of the tabernacle or temple, comes out the front entrance, out through the courtyard, and there was the amassed congregation of the people of Israel who were required to be there. When he came out in front of that great group gathered there, he raised his hands, the high priest, and blessed them, signifying atonement has been made for you. The offering has been given and the very fact that the high priest was still alive was proof the offering had been accepted. There's some tradition that the high priests, not only did they have bells on the hem of their garments to be heard, but there's tradition that he had some kind of tether rope in case he offended God while in the Holy of Holies and God struck him dead. They'd have a way to get him out. Nobody else could go in there. They'd get struck dead. So when Jesus raised his hands and blessed them, atonement's been made. Redemption's open. There is, as the scripture says, a fountain opened to the house of David, people of Israel, for sin and for uncleanness. Come and wash. Atonement's made. Jesus signaled that. Then he went into heaven. I don't want to get... I think I've got time here. I don't. Third, <clears throat> reconciliation or, or, or the, the precondition. Precondition for Pentecost is fulfilled when Jesus ascended into heaven. He told the disciples, if I don't go away, I can't send the comforter to you, the helper the Holy Spirit. But if I go away, he says, I will send him. Ten days later, as they waited for that event in Jerusalem, Jesus, he said, 
poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Thus proving, Pentecost proves the ascension. Jesus said, if I ascend to my Father, I'll pour out the Holy Spirit on you. And he did, ten days later, while they waited for it. Fourth, something began when he ascended. And that is, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus is now preparing a place for us. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and bring you with me that you might be with me where I am. So that's a redemptive movement that he is involved in. Now, further, he assumes his place as intercessor for us. He ever lives, Hebrew says, to make intercession for us. He returns to the right hand of the Father where he prays for us. He pleads our case for us. He is John called him. He said, if I write to you little children that you don't commit sin. But if you do, we have a defense attorney with the Father who is Jesus Christ. He pleads my case, pleads for mercy. Something else about Jesus I want us to think about very quickly here. Do you realize, Jesus, how many of us are so wearied with what we see going on in our world, the utter collapse of morals? We, we're beside ourselves in a lot of... We're, we're befuddled. We think, what in the world? And we wonder, why is God waiting you ever heard of the business of people getting a life verse that seems to be for their life? I told Liz just yesterday, reading in the Psalms, I got myself a new life verse. It's my favorite one. It's Psalm 139. David, Oh God, that you would slay the wicked. <laughs> That's my new life verse. But there's something I saw just the last day or so. Jesus has said, is in heaven. He's not, he's quite busy. He's interceding for every single one of us. But he's also doing something else that helps him identify with us. It says, he is waiting until all of his enemies are put under his feet and made his footstool. Jesus himself is waiting for the Father's word. Okay, this is it. I'm done. It's time. He knows what it is to wait while his enemies still flourish. They haven't been yet put under his feet. Actually, of course, he defeated death and hell and the devil and resurrection. But he waits for vindication, if you want to call it that. So are we. He understands that. Finally, his ascension was the occasion for the angel's 
promise, which is repeated everywhere. This same Jesus shall return again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. He will return. The ascension then, this ascension Sunday, commemorating Jesus being, the word ascension just means to be lifted up or to be carried up, taken up into heaven, is a proof. It is a promise. It's a certainty of his return and of our entrance into heaven along with him. There's a lot I could say, but it's, that's okay. Ascension Sunday is a meaningful day. It's a pivotal day. Whether we, any humans ever recognize it. In the kingdom of God, in the scheme of redemption, it's a pivotal day. Thank the Lord that Jesus said, said I go to prepare a place for you. And he also, one last thought, he, cared, he called himself the book of Hebrews, he called himself the forerunner. I'm your forerunner. He said, I, I run ahead of you, not only to show you the way, but to prepare the place. Let's bow our heads. There are a lot of things here to thank the Lord for and to hide in our hearts. Father in heaven, as our pastor just said, there is a lot here this morning. So I just pray and commit each one of the hearts here today, Lord, to you that you would minister to us as I spoke about earlier and what we need to hear and where we need met through this sermon this morning, through this message that our pastors laid it before our feet. The one thing I see in this, Lord, is I am always overwhelmed at the extent that you've went through to give us an opportunity to be redeemed, to have the assurance that our names are written in the book of life, all these things that you spoke of, all the promises that have been fulfilled that we went through this morning, help us to rest assured, Lord, knowing that you are interceding for us right now, praying for us, that we can hang on to our relationship with you and our salvation, understanding that one day we will see this place that you're preparing for us. But more than that, we'll see the one who's done all this for us, and his name is Jesus. Help us to look forward to that day, Lord, and may that day that we look forward to impact the way we live our lives today. That we live in a manner that brings you glory with full understanding and assurance of the promises that you've given us. Until we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So may all this that we've learned this morning, all this information, all the truth that's in it, impact us in such a manner that deepens our relationship with you, that deepens our trust with you, and deepens our walk with you as well so that we go out into this dark world as a light for our Savior with the hope of the world um, in our hearts. 
and share that with others as we go about our days so that they may have that same assurance and that same hope found and only found in a relationship with you. So help us to do that, Lord, going by your grace to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.